All right. Now I think I got it straightened out. But uh, the best laid plans of mice and men sometimes go astray. Someone said that one time. But uh, uh, let's go now to our lesson. We're going to have Paul the Apostle. And we're going to be in part two. We had part one last week. And now we're going to have a brief review and then we'll proceed on with new material. But first, let's use 1 John 1, 9 as may or may not be necessary. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful for the privilege of being able to study your word. Guide us now and direct us as we do recognize that all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, in order that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's... Uh, Look, first of all, just uh, as a reference, piece of reference material, if you will, the Acts timeline, which gives us an indication of the various Caesars, who was in charge, when what event took place, and what the date was. So uh, we had a preface doctrine last week, uh, which talked about how Israel became a crown, a root, actually a jewel in the crown of Rome. Uh, but uh, I left it on there for you today uh, so that uh, you can use it as a reference. All right, now the point 2.9, we will resume new material on page 4, but let's get a few review points from part, part 1 of the doctrine of Paul. All right, Paul was a circumcised Israelite of the tribe of Benjamin, speaking the Aramaic language in his home, inheritor of the tradition of Pharisees and a strict observer of the requirements of the Torah. He advanced in Judaism beyond many of his contemporaries. He was first and foremost a Jew. We studied that in Philippians 3, verses 5 and 6, and Galatians chapter 1, verse 14. So deeply ingrained were these qualities that even near the end of his life, he spoke with an honest appreciation of that heritage more than 20 years after his Christian conversion, he cried out, I am a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee. I am on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead, Acts 23, 6. And we noted that, of course, was a result of Sadducees not believing in a resurrection and the Pharisees believing in a resurrection. And that was his attempt to split the groups who were trying him. All right, even sometime after this, he claimed that he served the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the Mosaic law and that which is written in the books of the prophets. Acts 24, verses 14 and 15. Paul was a Jew of the dispersion, born in Tarsus of Cilicia. And I have, have a map on the board. And also one in the lesson plan of an area. It's actually a map of the first missionary journey, but it gives you a good view 
of the geography with reference to certain people and items, I mean, the items that we will talk about and speak to. Uh, one of which, of course, is Tarsus, where he was born. You can see there in Cilicia uh, on, on the map. All right, let's move on then. Uh, that's uh, where we noted that it was not just an ordinary city. Tarsus was not his hometown. Right as a child, he lived in the midst of Greek culture, a place of education and commerce. It was the city whose institutions best and most completely united the Oriental and Western characters. Paul developed a spirit of kinship with these outsiders. He learned to understand them and to become all things to all men. First uh, Corinthians chapter nine, verse twenty-two. All right, Paul grew to late adolescence in this environment before going to Jerusalem where he was educated under Gamaliel, who was, uh, of course, uh, famous as a teacher of Judaism. Acts 22, verse 3. After his conversion, Paul spent a period of 8 to 10 years in Syria, which you can also see on the map we have on our lesson plan, uh, and, of course, the province of Cilicia a time during his adult years when he would become deeply aware of the world culture about him. All right, uh, these were years of preparation for that ministry in which he was known as the Apostle to the Gentiles. We noted that in Galatians chapter 1, verse 22, and Acts chapter 9, verses 27 through 30. In addition to these aspects of his life, one other uh, aspect is emphasizing, which is quite implicit in his letters, he was a Roman citizen. This was a prized possession, as we noted in Acts chapter 16, verse 38, and Acts 22, verse 25. Paul recognized the value of his citizenship, Acts 22:28. Tarsus was made a city of Rome just before Paul's birth, and therefore his Dad and his father's posterity would become, uh, Rome, they would have become Roman citizens, uh, as would all free men of the city. And I use the term free men because you must remember most people in the Roman Empire at that time were slaves. They were slaves that had been taken as a result of war and overtaking the various provinces uh, located surrounding uh, what was Rome proper. The Roman Empire proper. Alright, in his letters, Paul didn't, uh, not only strongly advocated the maintenance of law and order, the very foundation of Roman government, but also referred frequently to his citizenship. Alright, now with reference to conversion in his letter to the churches of Galatia, and you can see them on that map of the first missionary journey, there's a southern Galatia and a northern Galatia, and we've studied the book of Galatians, and noted the uh, distinction there. Paul referred in that letter to his former manner of life in Judaism and how he had persecuted the church of God beyond measure and in fact had tried to destroy it. Chapter 1, verse 13 of that book. At that time he had believed that in pursuing such a course he was serving God and maintaining the purity of the Mosaic law. Paul's writings in the first book, that is his first chapter of that book, gave no indication of a break in his endeavor 
to please God at the time of his conversion, which we noted in Galatians 1, 15 and 16. Now, while the narratives in the book of Acts, as well as his letters to the churches, seem to indicate the suddenness of the conversion, uh, I know and I believe there were certain experiences that prepared him for that conversion. For example, the death of Stephen, in which Saul was in hearty agreement, and the heat of his house-to-house campaign against those of the faith could hardly leave him unaffected. We noted that in Acts chapter 7, verses 58 through 60, chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Now you'll see he was known as Saul for for some time, and then he took the name of Paul later, and will become Paulos, and we'll note that as we proceed through this study of his life. In any case, there are two elements in the story which are clear. First, Paul was convinced he had seen the risen Lord, and second, his life was radically changed from that day forward. In fact, he was quite instrumental, as we will see later, in the spread of Christianity by virtue of his persecutions. People became very fearful of this man as he proceeded to go from house to house, and he would have people beaten, he would have people murdered, he would have people in prison. It didn't matter whether it was man, woman, or child. He was quite vicious in his uh, uh, his efforts to uh, get rid of Christianity and uh, make sure people believed in Judaism as opposed to the way as they referred to it quite often. And so therefore, because of the fear, many people, as we will see later in Scripture, will be dispersed all over the Roman Empire and will witness to others, particularly the Jews who were were uh, out selling their products, if you will. Uh, they would tell people after they had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ about Christ. Alright, so the basis of his claim to apostleship lay in that experience where he saw the Lord on the road to Damascus. Uh, because in our doctrine of apostleship, which is again on the internet under Pastor Mary's study books, you can see a requirement of an apostle, of an apostle, was to have seen the risen Lord. And uh, he had, of course, had seen him on the road to Damascus, and we'll get to that later. But once and again, he insists upon it, that is to say, see uh, uh, this, that he was an apostle. 1 Corinthians 9, 1, 15, 8 through 15, Galatians 1, 15 through 17. As you compare that, as we did, Acts 9, 3 through 8, 22, verses 6 through 11, and 26, 12 through 18. All right, since he was not one of the twelve, and they had no had claim on Jesus, and since he had persecuted his followers, the necessity of the personal revelation of Christ to Paul seems apparent. Uh, and uh, that was uh, something he stressed from time to time when he said such things as, Have I not seen the Christ? Uh, as he did on the road to Damascus. All right, his change was first indicated by Paul's response to the heavenly voice when he asked, What shall I do, Lord? And we saw that in Acts 22.10. Then in Galatians 2.20, Paul shows that he had a new relationship with Christ. Uh, 2.21, 20 and 21, uh, 
uh, actually the last two verses of Galatians chapter 2. 2 are my favorite two verses, for I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. All right, also notice his new attitude expressed with reference to Christ. Notice 2 Corinthians 5, 16. So from now on, we now begin new material. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, uh, we do so no longer. The we there refers to his team that went with him and followed with him. Most uh, prominent one being, of course, Dr. Luke. Alright, the language was also evidenced by the message preached in the synagogues of Damascus. Uh, which was the capital then of Syria. Uh, it's no longer, I think Aleppo is now the capital, but uh, it's a very prominent city. Uh, the very place he intended to visit in order to arrest the disciples of Jesus. So he spent quite a bit of time there witnessing for the, for the Lord. Notice Acts 9, 1 and 2. Meanwhile, Saul, that would be Paul, of course, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, uh, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And it was interesting to compare, or is interesting to compare, Acts chapter 9 verses 1 and 2 with Acts 9, 20, reading through verse 22, uh, but uh, particularly verse 22, which we will quote here in a second. First verse 20, <clears throat> at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Which That which Jesus did on several occasions as you know. He said he was both the Son of God in several places and in other places he said I am the Messiah. So he had self declarations and Paul of course repeated those in more than one case. Notice uh, 20 says, At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Yet Paul grew more, says verse 22, and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. And I think it is this uh, uh, vociferate uh, uh, witnessing that he did caused, of course, him to be uh, uh, Aretas, I think his name was, but the governor of the of that area, had him, uh, tried to have him arrested, and they had to let him down over a wall to get away. But uh, we have no record of why he was, he did that, except he was preaching Christ, and that wasn't what the head man there in Damascus wanted done. All right, now let's look at point 10, 2.10 actually, on page 4. Only a short time before, he had thought that he had to do <clears throat> many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, even attempting to force his followers to blaspheme using torture as his uh, method. Notice uh, Acts 26, 9, 10, and 11. I too, he says, was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. That is just what I did in Jerusalem. 
on the authority of the chief priest. I put many of the saints in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. So not only did he travel out of Jerusalem in order to uh, find people who had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and persecute them, but he worked in the city itself, certainly according to this verse, and he had to go to Jerusalem to get an authority, written authority, to do what he was doing. Now many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. All right, there was a change in his sense of mission. No doubt he was convinced that God had called him to what? To preach Jesus, God's Son, among the Gentiles. He knew what God would have for him to do, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. But we find him, uh, uh, I, I, I hate to use the term disobedient, but no better term really when you look at his life. What did he do? He went into the synagogues when he got to a city. And uh, he considered himself uh, not only a, a, a witness to the Gentiles, as God had told him to do, but he also liked to uh, speak to his people, the the Jew. And that was contrary to God's will for him, by the way. Uh, God wanted him to go to the Gentiles. He wanted Peter to go to the Jews, but uh, he had a little trouble with both of them getting them uh, jump-started, if you will. But he has his ways, as you know. All right, and did. There was a change in his sense of mission. He was convinced that God had called him to preach Jesus among the Gentiles. All right, Paul was convinced this was the means by which Israel would ultimately be restored and blessed of God, however. So it wasn't like as he didn't know that he did come for Israel one day. He was going to be the source of their... As, as I've said there in the point, uh, restoration and blessing. Let me read you 11, 25, 26, and 27. It says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited, speaking again to Gentiles. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. This was puzzling to me for many years because I thought all Israel is going to be saved. My goodness. And then, of course, you have to go up to chapter 9 to find out and elsewhere in the near context to find the definition of who is Israel. Israel was believing Israel, not all Israel as ethnic Israel. Uh, And he uses as an example both Jacob and Esau saying, you know, Esau, uh, though he was about as Jewish as you can get, ethnically speaking, came out of the womb at the same time that Jacob did. Jacob was a Jew and Esau wasn't. Why? Because Jacob believed and Esau didn't. Uh, so anyway, he goes on to say, and so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And you'll remember from our study of eschatology, That's exactly what he will do when he returns at his second advent. All right, and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And you know and I know from our study there's neither Jew nor Jew, neither Jew nor Greek, uh, neither male nor female. Uh, Once you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are one in Christ. 
just as you are a son of Abraham and I am a son of Abraham, the Jews are Christians when they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and that, of course, in this our age uh, of uh, the church. And it will be in future ages also, by the way, but that's another subject for another time. So let's go on. Just as surely as Christ has appeared to others after his resurrection, he appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. And one of the doctors that we're going to study Wednesday night, I suspect, if I make uh, proper progress, is the, the the appearances of Christ after his resurrection. And that because it's brought up in the book of John. We're in the fifth chapter. Now let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. Uh, he also preached that he appeared to Peter as he speaks. Now, he's going to get to himself in a minute. That's the whole reason for this context. He appeared to Peter, and it is after the resurrection, and to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, meaning they died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, aha, he appeared to me also. As to one abnormally born, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So the twelve apostles, as you know, uh, in this church, of course, are the twelve disciples minus Judas Iscariot plus Paul. He was the twelfth apostle in terms of apostles per se. Now, we do have uh, delegated apostles, like, for example, Timothy and others who traveled with him, uh, but uh, they're what we call delegated apostles, not the original twelve. All right, so now let's go to post-conversion activities. All right, following the conversion experiences, Paul's life can be divided into two general periods. The relatively silent years, probably extended over 10 to 12 years. We may turn the chart on a little bit later, but... uh, I know it kind of bothers some folks' uh, brightness. Uh, so I'll turn it off for a brief time. And then we have the work at Antioch. Then we have the missionary journeys. And then the imprisonments. And these will be our headings under which we will speak. Alright, the silent years. Information about this period is very scant. What, a, what little is known from Acts 9... 19 through 30. Also, when we compare a parallel set of passages in Acts chapter 22 and chapter 26, and then several other scriptures that which I have provided below, uh, we begin to understand a little bit about the silent years. Notice I'll read Galatians 1, 15 uh, through 24. It says, But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by His grace, was pleased. Notice from birth. Um, I always always think about Smokey Robinson when I see this, who made the statement about Barry. uh, When he said, he's the founder of Apollo Records, he said, Barry was always that way. And we are all the same in the womb, you know, when we come out. We, We just have minor differences, but we are like we were when we were in the womb. And I was interested to hear him say that because there's so much talk about uh, amongst, among certain folks you know including uh, Smokey's brethren 
that they're a certain way because this happened or that happened. Same with uh, people today everywhere. Oh, I'm the way I'm in. I, I, I'm the way I am because of what mother did or what daddy did. No, you made choices and you can still make choices. So it's important to understand that. Enough of that. Nothing to do with Paul right now. So let's go on. But when Paul, when God, Paul speaking now, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man. Now this because everyone was saying, oh, you got all your doctrine from James, you got all your doctrine from Peter, etc., etc. He says, no, I got my doctrine from God the Holy Spirit in the Arabian desert for the greater part of three years. Uh, and he goes on. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. Now that didn't last long, but we'll see more of that later on. Now look at 11.32 in Second Corinthians. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the city of the, of the Damascenes uh, guarded in order to arrest me. Uh, the, uh, I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through uh, his hands. All right, now let's go to an outline of the, uh, of the period and then what it would include at least in significant points. First of all, preaching in Damascus. All right, notice 9, 20, 21, and 22. All right, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul, that would be Paul, increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that he is Christ, the very Christ. All right, now he goes into Arabia. And I've got a map of Arabia in this plan, by the way, a map where Arabia is in relationship to the Holy Land. Uh, And he will go in there. It's basically Saudi Arabia out in the desert somewhere. The specifics we do not know. He said, Neither went up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia. All right, then he returns to Damascus. And then he has a flight to Jerusalem because Aretas, if you will, uses the Damascene guards to find him and arrest him, but he, they sneak him out. Alright, and he goes down to Jerusalem. That's an interesting story. What happens to him there? Galatians 1.18, then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. Now in Damascus, 2 Corinthians 11, 32 and 33, the governor under Aretas the king kept the city of the Damascenes with the garrison desirous to apprehend me. And through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. 
And then 25 and 26, which we've seen. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in a basket. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. So they were still afraid of him because he was the one, one who had been done so much damage to them in that particular uh, city as well as surrounding area. All right, now the first meeting with Peter and James in Jerusalem. Galatians 1, 18 and 19. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. All right, then he returns to Syria and Cilicia. That would be Tarsus, and I refer you to the map uh, earlier. Scene. Uh, let's look at Galatians 1, 21 and 22. Later I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. In verse 23, they only heard the report. The man who was formerly persecuted uh, is now preaching, persecuted us, is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Now verse 30 in Acts 9, all these are related verses, which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Tarsus. He will actually be, uh, uh, he will get into trouble as he preaches Christ, even though Barnabas had come with him and was speaking for him. Uh, they decide to better get him out of there and they take him down to uh, uh, Caesarea. And he is uh, put on a boat and headed back to his home area, province of Cilicia. All right, uh, which the city of Tarsus is located in, uh, uh, again, Cilicia. And this Caesarea is Caesarea, Syria, which is on the coast uh, south of, in Judea. You can see it down there. Actually, they've got a little square by it. You see Judea, and then you see it on the coast there. Used to be a harbor there. And it was thought to be fictitious that there was no harbor there. And uh, as time passed, uh, divers began to see how there had been a man-made harbor there. And, of course, much of the New Testament then was, quote, verified, if I may use that stupid term, uh, rather than believe by faith. All right, so what was the purpose and nature of his first visit with Peter and James? All right, and further, why was he continually on the run? And you can uh, pretty well answer that from a spiritual perspective because he was doing a good job. When you're doing a good job, things don't go rosy. You know, don't go uh, peaches and cream, if you will. Not peachy, uh, but uh, indeed, uh, uh, sometimes get rough. Again, uh, because the devil does not want the gospel proclaimed. He does not want the word of God taught. And therefore, he puts up all manner of uh, stumbling blocks, if you will, for lack of a better term. Excuse me. One is impressed with the energy of the man, that is Paul. He was indeed zealous, literally bubbling or boiling, says the scripture, in whatever he undertook. For this reason alone, one might suppose that the silent years were not years of inactivity or repose. What we do know of Paul would certainly indicate there were no years of inactivity. He began immediately to preach Jesus as the Son of God. Acts nine nineteen and twenty. When we had when he was, had received meat, that would be food. He was strengthened. 
Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. That's right after he had been on the road to Damascus. He had received the, uh, the appearance of the Lord and was actually blind and had to be led into the city of Damascus where he was led to a particular person who healed him, at least in part, because we really don't believe he was fully healed. But uh, he that was, again, one of those, uh, those impediments that God permitted. You know, he had, uh, he had, he had a talk with God, you know, and say, could you please take all these impediments away from me? Uh, these uh, terrible things that are happening to me. And let me have a smooth sailing, if you will. And God said, no, 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 three times. Three times he asked, three times God said, no. You're a better man for that. Because of the trials and tribulations I am imposing upon you. Not like they just happened, but I'm giving them to you, Paul, to make you a better man. And of course, we can learn from that, can we not? All right, and straightway, what did he do? He preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then he goes into Arabia. Notice Galatians 1, 15, 16, and 17. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. We don't know where in Arabia and we don't know how that happened. We know the Holy Spirit taught him, though, for the greater part of three years. All right, his preaching in Jerusalem aroused the fury of some. This is a very interesting set of passages, as are all passages, uh, some more so than others, I might add. Acts 9, 28 through 29, and reports filtered back to Judea and Syria and Cilicia. He is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. Galatians again, 1, 21, 23, Acts 11, 19, 20, and 21. I'll read Acts 9, 28, again reading through a verse in this particular case, 31. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea, as we have seen, and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. So while the greatest Bible teacher of all, the one who wrote significantly, significant amounts of the New Testament, was working in the area, it was causing problems. And as a result, uh, when he left, what happened? Well, did everything get bad when the great Bible teacher left? No, they got better. And uh, <laughs> something we should learn from that, you know, God has his ways. Uh, and then he says, later I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. All right, the work, Galatians 13, 5, of, at Antioch. While Paul was in Tarsus and other places in Syria and Cilicia, the gospel had been spread from Jerusalem to Syrian Antioch. And, of course, that's the, the book of Galatians is written to Antioch in Syria, if you will. There's more than one Antioch because of Antiochus Epiphanes. 
uh, he was quite famous, as you know, as a as a as a, as a Greek, and uh, he had many different places named after. I think it was his mother. I'm not sure of that, but one or the other, one of his kin, if you will. All right, Acts 11, 19, 20, and 21. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecutions in connection with Stephen. Now, here's the the basis of what I said about the gospel was proclaimed because of his persecutions and what he did. So not only was he he, uh, involved in spreading the gospel, he was also involved in persecuting, and that spread the gospel. Now we're going to read about it. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, island of Cyprus, of course, uh, and went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks, also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Very interesting how God uses everything. He uses the good, the bad, the ugly, etc., all right, now Barnabas, good old Barney. Barnabas had been sent to see what was happening in Galatia and was instrumental in enlarging the number of converts. They heard that there were they heard that there was a large number of converts in Antioch, Syria. And uh, so James said, "You better get up there, Barney, and uh, see if all see what's going on, see if it's real, you know." I hear that there are Gentiles believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know and I know that can't happen. Gentiles can't do that, you know. Uh, they're not like us Jews, you know. So you see, he was still deeply involved in Judaism, which is why God left him in Jerusalem in charge of all the Judeo-Christian churches there. James, a half-brother of Jesus. So he sent uh, Barnabas on his way up there, and he went north. And he got up there and actually what happens is he sees all of these people who are believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and they need teaching. Uh, but uh, he, only one man, so to speak, and uh, perhaps not nearly as talented as, as Paul, I would think, from what I have seen uh, in the Scripture, uh, though I'm not certain of that. But uh, we just don't have a lot of information about him after the two had their little contretemps. But... Uh, uh, he was sent there. And of course he went there, he saw the need, and he said, I know a man who can help a lot here, and I'm going to go up to Tarsus. So he left Antioch, Antioch, Syria, which you can see it on the map that I, maps that I provided you. He goes north, north, uh, in this particular case, northwest, and he finds Paul. And, uh, we find out that Paul in Tarsus was witnessing and teaching he wasn't just sitting on his hind legs, you know. He was actually uh, really working hard. And, and uh, Barnabas said, can't you come and teach all these people? Because this, by the way, in Antioch was the first place that Christians were called Christians. Uh, because they were little Christ, if you will, quote, close quote. And uh, so he said, oh, yes, I can. I'll go with you. So he goes with Barnabas south, uh, if you will, east, into the city. And that's where they spend some time teaching and uh, organizing the churches, finding pastor teachers, uh, the, uh, placing them in certain churches and ordaining them. And then the Holy Spirit's going to 
go on a missionary journey. And uh, at a time when the Holy Spirit spoke directly to people before the written canon, of course. Excuse me, of course. Uh, and we're going to see that he gives an assignment to Paul and Barnabas to go on a missionary journey. And that would be the what we call the first missionary journey. And if you look at the map that I gave you, the first map that I gave you, that's a map of the first missionary journey and, and where they went, both there, there, as they went and as they returned. All right, uh, I'm going to read. I'm going to start with 3.5. Barnabas had been sent to see what was happening in Galatia and was instrumental in enlarging the number of converts. But when the work grew too large for him, he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. Now remember, he knew Saul because he introduced him to everybody in Jerusalem in that earlier visit that I described. All right, now he did. He wasn't very convincing, obviously, but they're still scared of him, you know. All right, so uh, Acts 11.25, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Together the, the two worked in Antioch for approximately a year. And that is definitely approx- approximately. We don't really know a certainty there. Uh, I think it was perhaps longer than that, but no, no, uh, no way of knowing per se. You can check, by the way, see what you have in the way of events on the first page that are listed for you with the uh, Caesars as well as uh, time periods. So this was a crucial point in the life of Paul for it may well have been here that his vision of taking the gospel to the Gentile world crystallized. Heretofore, he'd just been mainly with Jews. But when he got there and saw all these Gentiles, I think, and others, that uh, he probably sees the need to take the gospel to the Gentiles. So where is he going to go? Well, he's going to go into Turkey, what we call Turkey today, uh, which is uh, Asia proper. But uh, we will see more of that as we proceed on the first missionary journey. So at any rate, it was while he was active in Antioch, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Acts 13, verse 2, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So this at a time when, of course... Fasting was quite common. And by the way, I have a doctrine of fasting which you can find on the internet. Uh, and I think the last paragraph is something like, uh, 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 if you can, if you can worship, if you can worship better by fasting, by all means fast. In other words, nothing wrong with it, but, uh, uh, the point being, I tell you everything the scripture has to say about fasting. So you go to my study books, you go down to the F's, it says fasting, you hit it, here it comes. And it jumps right in your face. And all you got to do is study it, you know. Uh, all right, let's go on. Now they were ready for the missionary journeys. All right, it was while he was active in Antioch, again, that the Holy Spirit gave the assignment. Barnabas and Saul are to go, for I have called them, said the Holy Spirit. Uh, that would be interesting to have a recording of that, how the Holy Spirit spoke. Was it a deep voice, a high voice, or what? You know, we get used to authority we had a deep voice, you know. I remember George C. Scott when he played Patton. He was a better Patton than Patton was, you know, in terms of voice. I heard a recording of Patton when he gave his speech, you know, where he said, No, blah, blah, blah. He ever won a war by dying for his country. You know, you remember that speech in front of the American flag in, in the, the movie Patton? 
uh, and uh, I had a guy who was in the National Guard, colonel in the National Guard, and he gave me a tape. He said, here's a tape of that actual speech. I said, oh, wonderful, let me have it. No bastard ever won a war. And that's, he had a real, real high voice. And uh, I was set back, you know. He was actually in a soccer stadium where he had his entire group there, uh, organization there, because he was about to go and do what Ike had said, you know. Can you go over there and stop him? This was his battle to bulge. And uh, how long will it take you? And he gave him some ridiculous <laughs> number of days that he could do it in, which turned out to be, you know, just braggadocia. But uh, he did do a great job. You know, Georgie Patton. All right, now, okay, here we go. Thus were launched the missionary travels of the Apostle Paul. The missionary journeys covered a period of about 10 years. All right, Paul's work was chiefly in four provinces of the Roman Empire, Galatia, Macedonia, Achaia, and Asia. In each of these provinces, he concentrated on the key cities, the centers of population. Once his work was begun, he reached out into the surrounding countryside, usually by employing the native converts, training these men, and ordaining them as pastor-teachers. All right, Colossians 1, 7, and 8. He says, you learn from Epaphras. Epaphras was one of those teachers. He was the pastor of the church at Colossus. He was the pastor of the church at Laodicea. He was the pastor of the church at Hierapolis. And he would travel by foot, 16 miles. He would go north from Colossus. And it was in Colossus, of course, that uh, about Philemon was the slave, you remember. I mean, Onesimus was a slave who left there. And they met in the house again of a, of a, a, whoops, slips me. Sometimes I have a little slip, you know, but not very often. All right, let's go on. So you learned, uh, learned it from Epaphras, pastor of the church at Coloss, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and uh, who also told us of your love in this spirit. So actually, uh, the, the guy's name was Philemon. He had a son named uh, Aristarchus, who was also a pastor. And it was Onesimus, who was the slave, who stole and ran away from him. And all that's in the book of Philemon. And if you want to study the book of Philemon, go to Pastor Mary's study books, and we've got the entire book uh, studied for you. And uh, you may certainly take a look at it. All right, uh, we're going to start uh, thereabouts. Next week, the Lord willing, the quick doesn't rise, and we will have Doctrine of Paul, Part 3. And we will continue to study until we finish uh, an analysis of, of the man. All right, now let's dedicate the closing moments of the service to anyone who may be without Christ, without hope, and without eternal life. So with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I would ask you would pray that the Word of God would have full effect. We do not know who we are reaching. Uh, and we do not know who has not believed and who has believed. Nor really is it in none of our business. Our business is to get the Word of God out. Uh, and, of course, the Word of God clearly says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus came unto his own Israel, but his own received him not. But as many as did receive him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on his name. As the jailer said in the second missionary journey, which we will study, as as it was Paul and Silas, not Paul and Barnabas, who went on the second missionary journey, but uh, they were imprisoned, and uh, the doors opened, and 
the poor old jailer was afraid. Uh-oh, I'm going to get their punishment. And he peeked in there, and there they were. <clears throat> and he said, as they had been singing hymns uh, in the prison, the two of them, I'm sure it was good harmony. But the point is, uh, they said, uh, uh, he said to them desperately, what must I do to be saved? And of course, the answer was from one of them, either Paul or Silas. We don't know which one. I'm going to opt for Paul. Uh, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So right where you are, whatever you might be doing, you just tell God the Father and believing on God the Son and on the promise of the Word, you will be saved. I'll pause now for just a moment, give you opportunity to do that. And then I'll close by providing our benediction. Father, we are grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and to study your word. Now, I would ask that God the Holy Spirit would take that which I have presented, make it real, in order that we might grow in your wonderful grace and become more like our Lord and Savior, even Jesus the Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen.